0: The Fix Network. Hello, everyone. Uh, hopefully you can hear me perfectly fine. Dom, can you hear me well? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Hello, everyone. Thank you. And welcome to the first ever online Make Your Film Slash Filmmakers Podcast mashup. How are you all doing? You can't answer me because you're all on mute.
1: (laughs) Dom, how are you? I'm very good. Yep. Ready for an exciting event. So why are we here? This is an online summit. Obviously, we can't all meet up in person and do the London Make Your Film event that we usually do uh, because of coronavirus, but we're here for filmmakers, actors, producers, directors, everyone in the film industry who's looking to know what to do, to be motivated and how to get projects developed in lockdown.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Dom is exactly right. Uh, bear with us. It's the first time we've ever done this. So it will probably mess up. But so let me introduce to you uh, my co-host today. It is Dom Lemoir, He is the man to my left. Hopefully you're left that way either way. And he is a fantastic producer and director. And he has made some amazing feature films. He made three feature films before the age of 30. One of them was the fantastic Winter Ridge which went on to win uh, sixteen awards. Is that correct, Dom? That's right. Yep. Yeah, went on to do that, and he also um, has produced uh, recently. I love my mum and the very fantastic soundtrack to sixteen, which just started its cinema run before COVID nineteen got in the way. So we will be talking about things like that today and what you guys can do during this period. Uh, Dom is a brilliant guy. He's m- my co-host. Eleven uh, to pieces. So welcome him. To this event.
1: Well, thank you for the very warm welcome Giles and this is Giles Alderson who has also directed three feature films, one doc which is World of Darkness, two features including The Dare which is now out in the US and Canada and out in the UK in October through Lionsgate and recently his historical, I've lost my list, historical action film Arthur and Merlin Knights of Camelot He's also produced the serial killer's guide to life, which is now available around the world. And he is the main host of the number one UK filmmaking podcast, aptly titled the filmmakers podcast, which you can now listen to wherever you get your podcasts.
0: There you go. Thank you, Dom. I didn't like the news then the main news yeah. tonight will be, uh, COVID. Sadly, that is the situation that we're facing right now. Uh, and as there's filmmakers and creators, we're going to find that very, very difficult. It's going to be a tough time. A um, bit of housekeeping, first of all, before we delve into that. And we have our fantastic guests which, guests, which we'll announce very soon. One will do that. But first of all, you can see down in the chat to your right. If you've not been on Zoom before, there's a little chat box down your right. Please just uh, save that for questions rather than saying hi. Um, it's more useful for me to find them. And Robbie McCain who is on the make your film list. So if he replies to you, uh, thank you, Robbie, for doing that. So he'll be putting up your questions and the favorite ones and sending them to me and Dom and we'll be reading them out when and if we can. Um, Yeah, so if you do come in as a video, someone's come in as Steven Spielberg there. Hey, Steven, thanks for joining (laughs) us.
2: (laughs) I love you can write
0: whatever name you want. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, normally we do these things live. As you know, we do the event in London. And obviously now we can go all around the world with this as well, which is super exciting for us. Um, But Dom, we wanted to talk about the situation right now as well uh, and how we're feeling. So before we get to our first guest and we announce everyone, tell us about how you're feeling at the moment and uh, what you're doing to keep going and um, surviving in this time.
1: Well, I think it's quite a difficult time because you can't just... Uh, I think there's there's an assumption sort of going around that you just have all of your days to be collaborating and working and kind of doing the, I've got to write that project or I've got to get this off the ground. And the reality is that motivation doesn't always work that way. And it is a a challenging situation for everyone. For me, I've been plugging my way through as many TV series as I can. Uh, I've been reading books. I've started writing a novel. So that's like another skill to learn. Congratulations.
0: Um, Tell me more about the novel.
1: Oh, well i'm adap- I'm adapting a um a script of mine that's going to be a while coming um but it's a very it's, it's a very interesting way as a writer to flex that muscle because you have to think about the psychology and the thought process of every single character as well as all the the normal stuff that you will do in, in a in a script writing so that's been like a a very steep learning curve um been watching some excellent master classes uh which you can you know find out from Hollywood and people like neil gammon uh about the writing process and anything really there's, there's cooking ones you can kind of keep yourself immersed so i think it's a very good time to learn um even if you're not spending all of your day doing that project you can still use this time productively even if you're not feeling particularly motivated
0: totally agree uh, i think that's um a very sensible thing to do um another bit of housekeeping for going to that as well um it is that this will be going out Tonight, tomorrow morning, as a podcast, as well as part of the filmmakers' podcast. So you can listen back uh, to this tomorrow, which should be really exciting. Um, and do too, please tweet out about this event, I think it's very important. We will be doing another one on April the 20th, Dom. Is that correct?
1: Yes, that's right. Yep. Okay, we've cool. got a couple of guests confirmed.
0: We have, and we can announce them now. It is, in fact, Scott Beck and Brian Woods, the writers of A Quiet Place. And also directors and writers of Haunt, which is a fantastic, fantastic horror movie if you haven't seen that yet. But I imagine most of you have seen A Quiet Place. They'll be joining us on April 20th and we're getting some other good guests as well. So please uh, keep that date uh, available and join us again then. Hopefully we'll have some news by then and we will have moved away from this. Corona in some way, maybe we'll be allowed out by then. I'm not sure, but in the meantime, do tweet us at Filmmakers Pod uh, or at Make Your Film 20 uh, about this event and let other people know about it. They can join in now. Send them the link and they can join us. We wanted to do this to help filmmakers, didn't we, done We wanted to just keep this going.
1: Yeah, because there's not there's not really a, a great deal of support, I guess, um, or information other than just be productive, which is a sort of a fairly vague thing. um Obviously, a lot of people are offering masterclasses and uh you know skypes and, and this kind of thing but we thought that let's let's try and find out from some of the industry's top people about how they're surviving and what the this the sort of climate and the the state of the industry is
0: yeah and it is a, a tough time at the moment though for me yeah. and i'm quite happy to talk about what i've been doing and i had to deliver uh, knights of camelot my king arthur movie arthur and merlin this week earlier this week so it's been constantly busy for me I haven't stopped so it does feel very normal at the moment for me and I find that really freaky because we can't go out can't do anything we can't meet up for these things so we've been doing ADR uh, online we've been doing um, everything we can with phones uh, recording it that way I've been getting sent the effects been getting sent sound mixes and listening through it that way and um, surviving because we had to deliver the movie we had to deliver it to our distributors on time and we did deliver it on time and on budget. Um, but well that's something we had to do. <laughs> so it, I find that really interesting that I have just been going and been writing a script with a with a few people actually, um during this time, just keeping things ticking along. um yeah, one very very excited about. we're having a script reading on Thursday. There's another one that a friend of mine's written that we've got a pack ready for all this week we've done that uh, and a bit of last week as well, and suddenly now things are whether they move or not right now i'm not really sure, but um I know that all I can do is be proactive and move forward the best way I can to be ready for when the time comes um, that we can get back out there and money hopefully will be available for us to make films again, or at least we can speak to investors and they won't be scared. Are you finding that people are scared at the moment dom
1: Yeah I mean i think uh, I think people are generally sort of there is a lot of um, there's a lot of negative. Um, you know, the energy going around because it's just, you know, it's death tolls and it's kind of stay at home. Um, but it is also a good time for us all to come together and sort of as a community and, and you know, look at the ideas um, that we can create out of this. And uh, it is it is a very important time to sort of reflect on, on writing and projects we make don't necessarily have to be something that you're going to make immediately. All right, the, the lockdown's going to end on this date. I'm going to do it for this. If there's something that's sort of interesting to you um, that sort of factors into stuff that you're going through, like isolation, it doesn't have to be a pandemic movie. It could be about, you know, the elderly or, or some elements of society that you've just clocked onto that you haven't really thought about before. So there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff you can write for the future. Uh, and even if it's just training that muscle, it's a useful thing to do, I think.
0: Yep. Totally agree. Oh, Oh, you caught me just taking a drink from my mug um uh, merchandise coming soon um <laughs> never never want to let up a promo opportunity go to uh, um no I, I i totally agree i think you've got to be wary of writing too many movies about pandemics at the moment and i think just keep focusing on what you want to write on what you want to make and keep believing in that because if you're passionate about something you're passionate about your dream that you really want to make and you believe is one of the best things that should be seen by the world then you should do that that is what you should do right now, um, because what what you know. Otherwise, you're trying to shoehorn something in to try and fit a market. Yeah, you could do that, and you might hit lucky. But I think there's going to be lots of scripts out there that are that are also doing the same thing. So as long as you, unless you've got an amazing idea, I'd be wary about doing something about the pandemic. Dom, you agree with that? I take it.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I mean, um, I know I've seen a couple of people that got ahead of the curve and and started developing stuff way back in in december so there's going to be a couple of interesting projects that that come out early and i think they'll probably do quite well but i think as a general rule um don't don't sort of naturally go for that as your as your as your idea for you know the zombie apocalypse because it's just going to be an absolutely saturated market and uh yeah i think there's there's a lot of other elements and and depth to what everyone's going through at the moment that you can explore um that goes through you know past those ideas
0: yeah absolutely i think it's i think it's i think it's time for us to just reflect as well what projects we have what we really want to do because i don't know about you guys but i've always got about 10 projects on the go and sometimes it's about prioritizing what is the important ones which ones do you think will actually go when the time comes next and this couldn't be a better time for you to do that. And like Dom said, is to read, uh, listen to podcasts, um, inform yourself about the job that you want to do. If it's directing, get on the books that are all about directing. If it's screenwriting, there's so many courses out there for you that you can do now. And if you're a crew member, if you've got a camera with you, uh, if your director has got a camera, go shoot some B-roll. You know? You're allowed out for an hour a day, they say at the moment. So go shoot some stuff. And there's a, there's a site called Black Box. And they will take your footage and they will sell it to Getty and other places like that. So if you've got a good enough camera, could be this, then go out and shoot some stuff. Don't be shy and think, oh, I don't know how to make money, because that is something we're all worrying about now is how to do it. But there are ways of doing that, you know, Um, selling merchandise Uh, or. (laughs) Um, But there is there is ways of doing that. And you might have some stuff in your house that you can sell, you know, put it on eBay if it comes to that. But I think you can be really proactive think further outside the box what you're very good at right now and if that is script writing and writing for people then there's some you can write for magazines there's some copybook stuff to do website uh, writing that you can do blogs start your blog up um as dom's doing write your novel and i know that's not necessarily money right now but there's other things maybe you can do for that um it's just not easy it's going to be really hard for all of us and it's going to be tough But if we hang in there and because what else can we do really? Mm. Then I think, I think we can come out this, the other side, maybe stronger and have better projects and feel they're the ones I really want to make.
1: And there, there is going to be, there is going to be a boom of productions and TV and content and all all kinds of stuff um, when we do sort of get out the other end of this. So it's definitely the time to start planning like, you know, realistically planning, like, when am I going to shoot this? You know, what are the steps to, that I can actually be doing now and getting the pitch decks ready and, and the packs and, you know, getting a script into a good shape is, is the perfect time for that. Totally agree.
0: I think people are going to mental. I think when mm. we're allowed out, I think it's going to be, it's going to be like a Ibiza in the streets. I think people are going to be throwing scripts at you. They're used as toilet paper. I think it's going to go a little bit a little bit crazy. Um, let's come back to this. Let's touch on this a little bit more in a moment. I know that we've got quite a lot of our lovely attendees. Thank you so much for joining us, by the way. Um, but we thought we'd tell you now about who we've got coming up very soon, and then we'll introduce our guest. Um, I'll introduce the first one, Dom, and if you want to do the second. Um, so we have coming up later for you very soon the wonderful editor of Star Wars, Rogue One, Colin Gowdy. He is a fantastic man, and he's got so much insightful knowledge for you. So he is coming up as well. Who else is coming up, Dom? Are we doing all of them? Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, So we have Finn Glynn, who is a fantastic producer. Uh, He has a co-owner of Infinity Hill, which is a production company, and it's pretty good he's also done you me and him with david tennant um so he's got some he's got some very insightful stuff about development and uh how to put your projects together basically and we've also got jack binder who is the oscar-nominated producer of first reformed starring ethan hawke amongst many other um great hollywood uh stars that he's worked with over the years he also runs film budget which is a kind of a all-round film production company um, and it's global and it's pretty great for putting together budgets and tax incentives and everything you can want with your film. Uh, and our last guest is Christy Wilson-Cairns, uh, who is the fantastic Oscar-nominated BAFTA-winning writer of 1917 and Last Night in Soho, and she has some fantastic tips as well. But...
0: But, there's a big but here.
1: Yes, so uh, unfortunately, Christy, being in the world of Hollywood, uh, has... unfortunately well, fortunately meetings. for her. Fortunately for her, yeah, uh, has a Hollywood meeting this evening over uh, the studio. Uh, therefore, she couldn't actually come in on the allotted time that we were hoping for. But, so we, but, but... We have already recorded her this afternoon, uh, and we had a fascinating chat with her, so we're going to be playing for you. The conversations we had, uh, asking all of the questions and getting some absolutely fantastic insights for you to start off the evening before our other three live guests join us straight afterwards.
0: Absolutely. So apologies that you can't ask Christy some questions directly, but hopefully she'll be joining us at the next uh, Make Your Film Live event, um, which is hopefully... I don't even want to put a date on it sometime in the future sometime in the future. So she will be joining us then for those questions. Um, But you can ask our next guest questions in the box. And like I say, we will try and get to them when, and if we can, I feel like me and you are like a poor man's John Krasinski at the (laughs) moment, really bad lame presenting. So apologies for that. Uh, We're not presenters, but we do want to give you um, information to help you survive during
1: this time. Um. Uh, so should we get going, to christy? A, bit, a bit heavy on the uh the impersonation yeah, i do like that thanks um so should we get to christy
0: should we do it should i try yes. and do this okay what i have to do now is share my screen as recording earlier this might go wrong here we go sharing the screen there we go right okay we are about to go live who are we about to go live with dom
1: so let's bring in our first guest it is the fantastic Christy Wilson Cairns. Here she
2: yeah. is. Magic.
1: <laughs> I love that. It was like you
0: just appeared. Some really cool. i
2: little... very I very I have a great core. I work on yes. my core a lot. Yeah. That's
1: what we have so to do. First first top tip there of what to do in in quarantine. Um it's Christy is core. the Christy is the BAFTA winning Oscar nominated writer of nineteen seventeen and also last night in Sto- in Soho, I said it right. And she's joining us today to talk us through development and writing tips and how to survive this pandemic. Yeah. Yes. How you doing? Oh. Are you well? I
2: mean, good. Yes. Yeah. Surviving. Surviving. As, as, I mean, I don't know if I have survival tips, mostly sleeping um, and, and try not to drink before 11 a.m these are my survival tips. drink
0: alcohol before 11am or just anything
2: oh yeah, yeah alcohol no you can you can hydrate whenever that's allowed <laughs> good, good
0: all right
1: <laughs> have if you had, had to cut back have you had to introduce like a, a, a sugar rationing system for being at home with a laptop all day
2: um no i have never had any sort of sugar rationing uh, if anything my blood is mostly jam um, like if you cut me i will bleed strawberry jam there you uh, go.
1: Look at that. <laughs> that wasn't pre-planned. That wasn't pre-planned at all. <laughs> I just had some strawberry jam right
2: there. Why do you have strawberry jam next to your luck? I feel like that's a question. As as oh, a
1: worrying, a worrying question. <laughs> <It's
2: just laughs> very like, worrying.
1: Worrying right in now.
2: that it is being recorded. I don't want to have to testify in a court of law or anything.
1: Probably best. Yeah, we Probably don't best. want to get ourselves into a jam. Yeah. um So, a quick one from you, Christy. So. um how are you finding the industry at the moment? I mean, you've got a fantastic, you've got Hollywood meetings later, which is why we're doing this not live. Yes. Um, so the industry is obviously carrying on for you. What have you noticed about how things are changing or what people should be doing to survive in terms of projects?
2: I think, well, it totally depends on what stage your project is. at. I mean, I have I have a couple of films that were about to go into production. Um, so obviously nothing's going to happen with them. And it's a great time to, you know, see if you were about to shoot, to check that script. Like, make sure you've got everything right. Like, it's it's a good time for writers and directors who are prepping. Um, it's a bad time for anyone who's halfway through production, like my commiserations, because you build a sort of momentum up with that and then it's hard to get that again from scratch. But again, what you can be doing is watching your rushes, looking back over your stuff. Now's the time to tweak. You've basically got, like, free time to sort of imagine the, the second half of your shoot is reshoots. So, you know, there's a lot you can do. I think industry-wise for writers, everything's still carrying on. Um, People are still desperate for content. Uh, There's, you know, whatever looms in the horizon with the writer strike that might come up or, you know, the problems with the agencies and non-franchise agency agreements, all that. um, You know, who knows what the future holds? So you know, make hay while the sun is shining. I believe that's the farming term. Um, so I would suggest, like, keep working on Go <laughs> into farming it. as well. Oh, I love, well, you yeah, know, uh, we might have to. It could be the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, you're so absolutely right,
1: yeah. So, I mean, do you, do you think there's going to be a boom at the end of this? Because, I mean, that, that's kind of my, my thoughts that obviously it's going to be pretty horrendous in the short term, but afterwards there's going to be a lot of stuff going into production. People are probably going to see a, a rise in the cinemas if the cinemas can kind of make it through the next couple of months. Um, yeah,
2: oh, look, I mean, that's the thing is, can can the cinemas make it through? Um, mm. And that's the like our sincere hope, I think is all as filmmakers, is that the small independent chains like survive this, because those are the ones that are going to show your films. Yeah, By and large, like those are the people that you go to first before you get to Cineworld and Odeon and all that. Um, so fingers crossed for them. And I would echo my friend Edgar Wright, um, when he says, hey, if you're...
1: Name drop them. To,
2: <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you got a name
1: that My friend... <laughs>
2: <laughs> my buddy edgar um, if you are able to sign up for memberships and everything like that like do it now like join all your favorite cinemas i know you can't go to them but a lot of them have online stuff as well that you can use and you know consider it paying it forward so yeah if the cinemas survive i think there will be a boom i think there'll be loads of going into production i think i don't think we're going to make a lot of um Downers, shall I say? So mm. if you're if you're writing a movie that's about people getting stuck in quarantine, like I'd really seriously reconsider it because yep. cinema yeah. is best as escapism and dear god do we need to escape.
0: <laughs> that's the thing, and I think I you're right. A lot of people have been writing right now. I know a few people who started to write films based on this and based on this pandemic, and I'm like, but there's gonna be loads and yeah. Yeah. no one's gonna wanna see that. We've done I it. mean uh...
1: I mean, I, I think I think there's also there's, there's a larger there's a larger kind of element that you can look at in terms of if you're if you're desperate to write a drama and you do you do want to do that project still, yeah. you know, the, the isolation side doesn't have to be about a pandemic. It can be no. about the elderly. It can be about you know, hospitals. It, it can be about terminal illness. It can be about yeah, exactly. all the people that are stuck in these situations that we just don't actually think about until we're all thrown into it.
2: That's it. I mean, also, you 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 can take it to the nth degree. You know, you can put it in sci-fi.
1: Look mm. at
2: Moon. Moon is not. Is obviously a film about isolation. Yeah. It has so many resonances with that. But yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be rushing out to to write uh, Contagion again. Put it that way.
0: No, absolutely. And that's done really well lately, hasn't it? Everyone has watched it and now. I think it's probably tailing off. People have gone. Yeah, I'm kind of. I'm done with that. And it yeah. is quite frightening.
1: Um, so you have to you... be very, very good to to create yeah. something like this.
0: So you do. So what's, um, again, have your, has your um, sort of schedule changed, how you write at the moment? Has that changed at all? Have you, you know, for writers out there who are kind of going, right, what do I do now? How do I sit and write my script differently? Is, is there anything that's changed within your Yeah.
2: Path? Well, look, I mean, I work from home. Um, and so everyone else got trapped at home, but I get trapped at work. um so like you know my my day went from like you know I'll work I'll work during the day for a few hours and I'll go out and I'll have lunch or I'll I'll go out and meet friends I'll go to the cinema to hey there's no real kind of cut off point um so you have to actually be a bit more militant about when you stop writing um Mm. which I know is an insane thing to say but you will burn out and also, like, give yourself a break. It's a global pandemic, you know. These come around, what, once every 400 years.
0: <laughs> Let's hope. English English
2: like, you know, don't don't beat yourself up if you're not Shakespeare writing King Lear, is what I'm saying is, like, take this as an opportunity to spend time with yourself, practice self-care, or, like, look after your mental health and everything like that. If writing is escapism and you get to go and disappear into another world for four or five hours a day definitely do it but don't sit at your typewriter or your keyboard and flog yourself like you know the world is anxious enough you don't need to add pressure onto yourself just because you're not writing a masterpiece whilst you're stuck at home trying not to die great. Quite- yeah, and I,
1: I think I think that's a very good point as well because there's there's there is this kind of pressure like oh you've got all this time but first of all it's actually it is you can't always get into the right zone when you're stuck in this kind of situation to write And secondly there's a lot of things you can do that will help anyway like reading books going you know burning through tv series watching master classes you know all these things will help towards your knowledge base and your ability to make films so massively and
2: like you know you know those movies that you kind of like oh i should watch them but i don't quite have time this weekend now's the time Now's the time to watch all the German expressionist films. Do you know what I mean? Like, what else are you going to do? That you're stuck in. So <laughs> um, like, burn through those kind of films. Burn through the films that you weren't sure about. And also, like, see, now's the time you can't be with your friends, but you can say, "Hey, what's your favorite bad film?" And watch that, and then ridicule mm. them for their terrible, terrible. <laughs> um, so like not your friends. That's it, that's a
1: good
2: tip. <laughs> yeah, oh, I love to make fun of my friends' bad films.
0: Yeah, that's a good <laughs> <thing. laughs>
2: yeah, one. I love 11... your friends. <laughs>
0: Um, so, so um, should, we, should we jump in with a question from uh, a couple of people who uh, wanted to ask you some, some sure. questions?
1: Um, if I can find my phone, yeah.
0: Oh, I've got, um, I, as a new writer, this is from Lydia uh, Andra Coppolo, uh, and she asks As a new writer, would you recommend writing a treatment and send it to an experienced writer to write, or should you just dig in and write it yourself?
2: Um, as in, send an experienced writer your treatment to write the movie? Yes. No, never. <laughs> Absolutely not. And um, the reason that you should be writing is that you have something to bring to this story. There's something in it that excites you, but also that you've got a, a different take on it. If you mm-hmm. think someone else can write it better than you, you, you're probably right. Someone else definitely can write it better than you. Someone else can write it better than me. But there's a reason that you want to tell the story, and that reason's worth digging into. And the only way you get to the bottom of that is to write. Yeah, I would never, and also as an experienced writer, I'm I'm so not interested in other people's treatments. If they want me to give them feedback, absolutely, but I'm not, I, I'm interested in my own ideas and what I come up with. And well, writing's
1: cool. very personal as well, isn't it? So you have to kind of very much open yourself up. So if you've come up with an idea and then you're asking for someone else to do that, there's a there's a transference, isn't there?
2: Well, yeah, and also, can I just say, you're, no one else is going to do it. Like, really... Mm and if they do do it you've got no ownership of it a treatment is so not it's not the script uh and ideas are not scripts you know just because you've got i've got this idea i've got this treatment that, then you want to be a producer you don't want to be a writer
0: that's a great answer yeah absolutely, absolutely. do do you find that you're not um working use making other people's projects then so it's it's stuff that you like to find yourself and and how do you go about finding those ideas
2: well i think so for me I self-generate a lot of stuff Um, I also work with a lot of directors and I mean Edgar brought his idea to me but he allowed me to co-write the script with him so that would very much felt like in my wheelhouse Sam and I co-wrote 1917 it was it was in both our DNA um you know I, I think something has to resonate with you there needs to be something in the idea that you go oh I'm interested in that or I, I have an idea for that um And that can be anything, that can be a photograph, it can be a book I want to adapt, it can be a weird idea, it can be half a dream that someone told me they had. Like it doesn't matter as long as I have it in me and I kind of go, oh, this is the version I want to tell. Um, So yeah, I I, I like to self-generate. And I also think even when you're given stuff, for instance, adapting The Good Nurse, which is a true story, Mm -hmm. adapting that, it it feels like you won't have a lot of kind of, you know, room to maneuver. But then when you get into true stories, they're actually much easier to adapt in fiction Um, for a variety of reasons. But one of them being that people understand the bounds of narrative more. So, you know, if I want to change, say, the third act of The Hunger Games, I will be crucified publicly. But if I want to take someone's real life story and say, actually, how that ends doesn't work in a kind of filmic narrative. But if I move the stuff together, the, the soul of the story is true and it still ends the same way, but you understand the kind of rhythm of it. So, yeah, I I think as long as you've got room to manoeuvre and be creative, like, do anything you want.
1: Yeah, because I guess it's it's about the emotional truth of the character, and I think that's something that people get stuck on in script a lot of the time, is going too precise in the details. You've got to do your research, obviously, but it's capturing what the character was stood for or, or what their kind of emotions were that will get the audience or the people related to them on the side, I guess.
2: Exactly, exactly. And also, you know, remember what you're doing. You're writing a movie. And it's going to be 125 pages max, please. I mean look, <laughs> some of them will go to one forty, but that's fine. But you know, what you're trying to do is tell a story. You're not trying to reinterpret someone's life. I I, I can't take a real life person and paint them on the screen in all the intricacies and the details of them. And and it would be foolish to even try. So what you're trying to do, as you say, is you're trying to take the concept of truth and storytelling, smush them together and come out with something that feels Fairly true, and it's true, especially with people's lives and life and death kind of situations. You you don't want to fuck around with that. Can I swear?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fuck <it>. Okay,
2: good. <laughs> I always it's forget. Too late um, now. You don't want to mess around with that. But at the same time, like you you are trying to provide entertainment, so it's a tightrope walk, and it's something that you kind of refine throughout the script. It's not something you know first time, and it's something that you use producers and everybody else and the director helps you to kind of walk that tightrope.
1: So, so in terms of in terms of when you're sort of in the idea stage, and this, this could be like you've just had an idea when you're out and about, do you write down random scenes sometimes that have no sort of relevance just for the sake of it? Um, when you're sort of looking at getting a script, how does that research process go in terms of like, all right, I'm going to do these treatments, or I'm going to kind of bunch these ideas together, this is ready for a script now, or maybe this one needs to be parked for a while?
2: I am... Oh, it's different every time. Well, so when I'm out and about, I have a little notebook or I make a note on my phone and if I come up with something, even if it's like a big idea or if it's like a line of dialogue for a character or if I overhear see some, someone say something, I'm like, oh, that sounds exactly the way I want that character to sound. I'll write that down Um, and I have um countless volumes of these little notebooks that I kick about. Um, And I'll I'll, I'll even, when I'm reading, if there's a sentence I like, even if it's got nothing to do with anything I'm doing, I'll put that sentence in the notebook because I'm like, oh, that's just, why, why do I like that? And eventually something along the line, five years from now, I'll be writing something. I'll be like, oh, that sentence is that character. And so I do all that. So I, I'm, I'm like a magpie. I'll just hoard everything. I'm like, oh, fancy. Um, I do treatments. I always do a treatment. I do a treatment for myself anyway, because I don't think you should start writing a script until you know how it ends. Even if you're going to change how it ends, just for the first draft, so you can get out of that second act. Otherwise you will get trapped on page 70, I can assure you. If yeah, you do not I know how happened it's many
0: end, times to me, yeah. just absolutely. And you'll,
2: you'll write yourself into circles and you'll write cool stuff, but you won't be going anywhere. Um, mm. So I always start with the treatment, like a bullet outline, beginning, middle and end. Um, talk. I think about the characters. I actually talk about it with people in my life as well. Like I'd be like, oh, I'm thinking about doing this and, and what do you think of this? And this is the story and I'll tell it to them as if it's a campfire. Like I'll do all that and that's how I'm kind of like sounding things out. I also like to do a treatment because it's really helpful when you're working with producers or directors um, to have it on paper because my idea of tone and style and characters and, and everything is could be so different from what's in your head and it's much easier to sort that out in treatment stage than it is at script. You're talking about should you fix five pages or 105 pages? So do a treatment. Share the treatment. Um, Share it with the people you trust. Share it and collaborate. Like, steal all their great ideas. That's what they're there for. Your name's on the script at the end of the day. It doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs)
1: and I was just going to say, so I mean, when you're, when you're, when you're sort of bashing out the first draft, do you, do you always sort of plan it until it's, you've infused so many ideas that the the is just kind of naturally going in a direction or do you sometimes just have to keep plugging away and then you sort of find it as you're, as you're writing, so to speak, and then you've got to kind of look at it at the end of it? No,
2: I plug away in the treatment. I plug right. away in the treatment. And, and that's, not, that's not to say then the treatment will be the exact thing I render into the script because sometimes I'll get into the script. And I'll feel it pulling in a different direction. But then I usually go back or even I, I write with a like a, a big notepad under my laptop, which I make notes on. Because sometimes you forget, you're like, oh, I want to go back and write that. So I'm like covered in tiny, illegible, crazy writing is how I would describe my office, which is why we're not doing this in my office. <laughs> um, <laughs> I look like a serial killer. Uh, but yeah, and so I I, I do that a lot and when I'm when I'm like oh this is pulling away this is not what I think it's going to be then I'll write on that note what I think the beginning middle and end then is um so I'm like in a way if I kind of think of it as like you're trying to get to a destiny like you're trying to sail somewhere it's almost like you're using like constellations and you're keep checking your constellations you're like I should hit this I should hit that I should hit that otherwise I think if you do that in a draft the tendency is very much to get unstuck and you then start going, well, where would they go next? Oh, well, it might be interesting to see them at the record store. And that's not character driven. That's not mm-hmm. anything driven. It's just like you're like, that's a cool location. And that's pff, as soon as you started doing that, like you you in trouble. You mm-hmm. lost. Uh,
0: that's great. Thank you. Um, What in terms of for a new writer, um, and we get this question quite a bit in the pitfalls that someone's got. People are very scared of giving their work out, if you like. Mm. They're very, someone might steal it. Even pitching it to friends, people don't. And I totally agree with you. You should always be pitching because someone will just say, well, that doesn't make sense. Or well, I've uh-huh. seen that in another movie. Yeah. What are pitfalls in terms of what writers should look out for when sending their projects out, producers-wise? Is there anything that they should be careful of?
2: So here's the thing. I have never had anyone want to steal my idea. Um, I've never, I've had someone steal a very similar idea after a script is already written and sold, um, which was weird because they were a friend of mine, and I was like, "But remember, I wrote that." Um, and then no. they were like, um, "So I've had that." So still
1: a friend, or no? Shockingly,
2: <laughs> shockingly not anymore.
1: Suspected him. He's like, <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> I definitely renamed the guy who gets murdered. In it.
1: Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah.
2: But so I've I've had that, but I've never had someone steal. An idea because here's the thing the idea is not the commodity and this is what new writers forget the idea is not the commodity you are the commodity you are selling yourself
0: mm-hmm.
2: see if someone can do a much better job of it than you tough you're still new at this you just need to keep going and keep working at it and get better at it but ideally what people are paying for when they pay for your idea is you writing it. Mm. So. I mean, I, I would urge you as a new writer to write things on spec. And, that, and that's so easy to see now from my gilded chair where I don't have to worry about money. But when I was writing, I was a bartender and I wrote at night and I wrote in the bar because I have really great bosses. Um, and I and I wrote my stuff on spec because, well, frankly, as a young woman writing action, I wasn't getting a whole lot of calls. <laughs> um, yeah. And second of all, I wanted to write something that was pretty different from the normal things that get made in the UK. So I wanted to write big budget action thriller, war movies, you know, that, that's the sort of stuff I wanted to write. And I was never going to get anywhere by kind of doing kitchen sink dramas because it just, I wouldn't have written them well. Not well, my which, passion. Which,
1: which is kind of a pitfall in, in the UK in, in the, if you, if you do want to kind of make that Hollywood fair kind of stuff, it's very difficult to like the kind of the natural route is right. We'll do a horror, do a gangster, um, do this, like whether you're a writer or a filmmaker or a director. Yeah. Uh, and it can be quite challenging to to get those ideas kind of looked at. I think there is possibly slightly more open-mindedness to doing something like that in America. but
2: Massively. But see, the good thing is now is that with streamers and everything like that, everyone has to up their game. Everyone's desperate for content. Mm. And, and, you know, I was lucky when I wrote my first script, Ether, it went on the blacklist, it got American attention, and I kind of, that was it. Like, I, then I was in the sort of Hollywood machine. And, I, yeah, you still have to work your way up, but... When you're in it, it's much easier than mm. when you're, you don't have an agent. You're, you're just kind of like, hello, um, I have scripts for you. Like, no one's going to be reading them. So you do have to get noticed. And one of the best ways to get noticed is to write a really great spec that sort of shirks expectations. That's, um, yeah. And that's, it's so much easier to do that as a writer. I don't envy directors. Because like, all I have to do is sit down with a piece of paper and I'm spending my time. But what you have to do is convince other people to give you their money.
0: Mm-hmm, that's yeah. hard.
2: Um, so, you know, obviously I'm speaking from the sort of writer's idea that if you can if you can devote time to write a spec and then rewrite that spec and then rewrite that spec four or five more times till you've got it in the best possible position and then, like, submit it to all these competitions, like, do all that stuff, do the sort of legwork. Because if it's good enough, it will get noticed. Cream rises.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally um, I, I, and also
2: there's nothing wrong with showing it to UK producers because, see, yeah. at the end of the day, a lot <clears> of the new breed of UK producers want to make the same stuff that we want to make.
0: Yeah. 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 Great. And on that, speaking about representation, I've got a question from Johnny Grant. He asks uh, Is it important to have a US rep as much as it is to have a UK rep or even to have a rep at all?
2: I am. I love that. Johnny Grant. I feel like I'm in the radio. (laughs) Thanks for your question, Johnny Grant. Um, (laughs) uh, Yes. uh, Yes. I I do think it's very important to have representation. Um, To me, signing with my UK agent was the difference between being a bartender um, for the rest of my life and, and being a screenwriter. Um, I was very lucky. I went to the National Film School. As part of graduation from that school, they put on shows at the Solo Theatre for your writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also do this thing where they take the whole class of writers and we go around all the agencies and you pitch and you talk about yourself and you give them samples. And that's how I got an agent. That's how I got my UK agent. How I got my United... Uh, my, my US agent um, was... Th- I sold ether on the blacklist four or five agencies contacted me I actually went out there and met all of them because here's the thing when you're based in the UK and you're going to take on a US agent you better be sure that you like that person and that they represent you um, and that they're your kind of person Mm -hmm. because if not people are going to not know who you are not know what you want to do um and not know the areas that you're interested in working in and you'll get sent just crazy stuff that will never work and you'll end up lost in a tundra of writing like, mm. and no offense here, but like girl on the train 25. Do you know I, what I mean? Because the, they, they, they associate you, you, certain people with certain things and they'll just bunch you all together. Um, so yeah, I, I, to 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 be perfectly frank, my United, my, my US agent who's CA, um, John Kassier, is it's the most important sort of work relationship in my life. Uh, that's he, fascinating. That's
0: really well, interesting.
2: Yeah, but, and he's also like one of the first people that reads my work. Um, he gives me feedback on it. He tells me when I've got ideas, I'll say to him, I'm thinking of doing something like this. And he'll say, just be mindful of there's this script out here. There's Mm -hmm. this book that's about to get options. There's that, that, and that. And also if you have any book that you want to write, say I read some obscure print thing, he's the first person I can phone and be like, Hey, where are the rights for this? And he will find them. So having, having an agent is really, really important. I, I think, especially if you want to work in America, like usually, most production companies out there, most studios will not take a look at Unfrant like anyone that's not signed.
1: And you can get meetings in America. That, that's, that's the thing. Like it, it is easier to get a meeting with someone. Like They'll, they'll give you a meeting. Like, it doesn't matter you know, who they are if you kind of approach it correctly. So you can get in with some quite cool people um, to get yourself that chance. And they are generally quite open to talent. So if you've got something that's, that's right, even if it's not right for that moment, it's definitely worth a try.
2: Yeah, massively, massively.
1: Brilliant. Um, We've got one more question. We've got time for one more question, Dom. Yeah, I've got one from Victor. Um, how do you approach a historical script? What steps do you take? And yeah.
2: <laughs> um, so, writing historical, uh, handy, I've done a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think the very first step I take for any project is uh, do I want to do it? Because um, obviously, you're going to develop. A huge amount of your time, your energy, your mental health is all going to be sucked into this. So, that but the very first thing is, I think, do I want to do it? Um, what, why do I want to do it? Like, what about it interests me? Um, because the big thing you're going to get asked when you write a historical script is, why is it relevant? Every press con, every press conference or every press meeting we had, someone would say to me, why, it- why does it matter that what happened over a hundred years ago? What, what does it matter? Um, for 1917 uh, and my answer to that is that actually it's incredibly relevant because what 1917 was about was about wanting to go home and what you would do for someone you love and so that's not rooted in war and it's not rooted in 1917 at uh, timeless so that's what I look for in the historical ideas that I'm drawn to um, and I'll sort of work out why how where when and then I'll do my research which is the funnest bit because it usually involves travel um mm-hmm. yeah it's sometimes the glamorous locations sometimes to northern france which is really sad <laughs> um uh, so th- there's that and then you uh, i will do research for longer than i should i'm writing while i do my research so i'm doing my treatment while i'm doing my research um just a quick think, one
1: how long how long is your treatment generally like one of the cause you you rely on it quite a lot so like how long does it generally take well, yeah.
2: if it's a treatment to share for uh like a sort of early meeting i'll be about 5 pages and it'll be sort of quite rough characters, very sort of simply drawn, um, like this is A to B to C. Mm. Um, when I, I, Before I do my first draft, I probably, the longest treatment I've ever done was 70 pages. 70?
0: Um,
2: yeah, 70 pages.
0: Okay. wow. Um, seven it's zero. basically yeah.
2: a script. <laughs> well, yeah, it's basically a script. Also, I do this thing, which I work with Neil Street a lot, um, which they have taken to call a scriptment which is half treatment, mm. half script, because I start to write dialogue in my treatments because I think that's yeah. the best way you can understand. And I, I'll do a dialogue in a five-page treatment. Do you know what I mean? Like I'll, I'll, I'll open it with dialogue or I'll close it with dialogue because that's how you understand the tone, the characters, who they are. Um, dialogue should be very, very specific to each person. Do you know what I mean? Like I speak mm-hmm. differently from you two not just because I have a mad accent. Like it's my rhythm, my patterns, all that kind of stuff. What I'm going to talk about is so different from what you're going to talk about. So that all has to be intrinsically in there as early as you can um and some people have a knack for that some people really have to work for it if you're one of the people that has to work for it start eavesdropping um there's nothing better I get a bar job listen to how people talk to each other it's so useful and you can drink um so there's that uh, but yeah no I, the, I do a scriptment eventually which will be half like i literally take my treatment i put it into final draft i start writing it and i push it and push it and push it and push it and i like to when i'm writing actually instead of starting with interior, blah, 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 on each scene go, okay, my next point on my treatment is this, so I'll write this scene now. And then I'm like, well, those two scenes, actually, there's a gulf, there's something in between them, so I'll go back and I'll be like, well, what's interesting here? And I'll fill it in. So my first draft can be quite long and meandering. I am, I've i had first drafts at 160 pages, which I wouldn't show anyone because I'm just letting it run because there's sometimes there's stuff at the end of a scene that you didn't realize was going to be in there and you just let them talk till you get to it um i'm aware that that makes me sound slightly insane but you know what it is if you know what it is yeah <laughs> sometimes they start chattering away uh, so i'll i'll let things run and then i do my my first slash and grab um which is where i basically just go through and go don't like don't like don't like don't like don't like doesn't work poof, poof, poof. um i like to murder it and then at the end of that, you start to see, oh, I've left a little loop here, which weirdly links up there. And I hadn't quite done it consciously, but that is actually a really interesting sub thought. So what if I go a bit into that more? So it's a lot of it's about getting it down, forgetting about how you did it, going back into it and being very ruthless and then coming back out of it and going back into it. And, and the longer you can let something sit, the better. Um I, I I give myself at least a day between things, but if I can give myself a week, I will. And that's why I like to have multiple projects because whilst one's mm-hmm. sitting over there cooking, you can good, be yeah. you know putting another one in the oven. I don't cook. I have to, I don't have the cooking metaphors.
0: Because what once you vegetables, here's just, one, you one
2: I made earlier. That's I wanted to get to that, but I just I couldn't link it up because I didn't make a treatment for this conversation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Because> <laughs> that, that's, ages.
1: A, that's a very good point because once you once you get to the point of actually having a script written as well. It's so much easier to actually go back in and see because you, you intuitively, if you've written a lot of scripts, you've watched a lot of films, you'll know when there's beats missing. But when you've just got this like chaos in your brain of like a billion ideas and you're trying to get those ninety pages or a hundred pages down, it's very difficult. And I think uh, a lot of people on their first draft try and make it perfect, but until you can sort of look, take a step back and no, have no. a look, it's quite difficult.
2: You, you can't make it perfect. You can't make it perfect. Mm. It can't be done. There's no such like thing. This- yeah. Like, honest, no, but, but like, see if you sit down to write and you think, I have to get this right. Forget mm-hmm. it, You that's like being like, oh, I, I hope I don't accidentally smash my car into five walls when I try <laughs> to work out that space. Okay. Like, it's not gonna happen. And you'd have to try really, really hard. And even then, like, you're just gonna fuck it up. Like, just, just let it get out. Like, give yourself as much as a framework as possible. Mm-hmm. Like, do your treatment. Do it even even if your treatment is literally three lines. They start here. The middle bit is this. The end bit is this. Even if it's that, go with that. And then just write it. And as you're writing it, like you have bits of dialogue that you're like, ooh, I mean, there's bits of dialogue that I write and I'm literally like, oh, God, I'm such a shitty writer. (laughs) Like, and you're you're like, oh, God, I can't believe, I can't believe I wrote that. Give me five minutes. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can't believe I wrote that. Mm -hmm. And then as you go back, Well, it's nice to have low-hanging fruit, let me assure you, because when you start to get into like a real – you get knife crazy you really want to slice some stuff which is delightful and there's a no lot hand, of worrying
1: indicators of, of murder here <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've had I, I, slashing you, rat, I, right? we've had cars <laughs> smashed into <laughs> walls <Do> I, <laughs> right? um, you
2: know a lot of people are worried that I might kill someone but I only do it on the page um, I, and if this comes up in the court a lot I swear I only do it on the page that, that'll,
1: be, that'll, be the, that'll be the headline quote I only do it on the page <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, so, so in terms of um, so, so say you've just done your you know second or third draft I'm, I'm assuming you'd wait before you send it off for notes if you're being commissioned by someone how, how do you take notes because i think i think something that's really important is if you if you're sort of bouncing a project around or you have different people sort of joining and, and coming and going uh one one producer or one director may want to take it one direction and then they may leave the project so you want to always improve it without actually sort of so it's always going in the same direction rather than flipping backwards and forwards with different collaborators so how do you kind of take notes
2: yeah. Well, first of all, notes are the best thing. Um, like genuinely when so when someone gives you a note, there's whole there's like a variety of notes, and people can give you bad notes, people give you good notes, but even bad notes are really helpful because bad notes tell you there's a problem and they mm-hmm. usually tell you where the problem is. I find bad notes are usually like, hey, why don't you just do this? Oh, it'd be much better if this or that. Um and usually the the solution is wrong the problem is still in there and you can Mm. track back that the note behind the note you can track that back and be like oh that that's where everyone's having a problem i like to get loads of notes and i have quite a intrinsic sort of like idea of what each script is Um, and that's not to say that i won't roll with things as they adapt but i also know i know the limits of, of where i will push it before i'm no longer interested in writing it for instance Mm-hmm. it's no longer a story I want to
1: tell. Because yeah. that, that, that can happen. You can you can adapt a, a script to fit someone else's notes because they kind of can't see your version. And then, you know, before you know it, you're kind of, you've got something in front of you that you, you have no no connection to and yes. there's nothing, not even personal to you anymore.
2: No, exactly. And that's happened to me. That's happened to me yeah. in a project when I was sort of younger and, and still trying to understand the studio system, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I got sucked into that. Um, and it's very easy to sort of, I think be worn down by that Mm. but I think if you so what you really need to do is really need to be like what is the story I want to tell what are these notes giving to me that allow me to make that story better and also all notes should be discussions you shouldn't get notes that are an A4 document collated by some assistant at some random studio that's 25 people's notes and and they're in studio ones are in red and the producers are in black get that away from me that's no good to me it needs to be a discussion because I need to be able to say to them oh see this idea here what what is the why do you want me to do that what do you think this is what about if, if I did something like this hey and and this this is like collaboration so when you're in the room with them like don't be afraid to consider their notes think everything through like play out the notes in your head sometimes I do all the notes because I'm not 100% sure which notes are going to work and which notes aren't and for all, it's, it's going to take me, what, two afternoons to do it? Yeah, I'll try it. Mm. That's nothing to me. I guess um, it's whether and,
1: you agree with it, isn't it?
2: Well, yeah, exactly. But even I've tried notes I didn't agree with, and I was wrong.
0: Okay. Yeah, because that will affect some things can change, can't they? You say, oh, actually, that did work what I didn't think mm. would have worked. Um, yeah.
2: But I, as long as long as the notes are a discussion, as long as there's push yeah. and pull and a collaboration for them, then they're useful. Um, You need to, if, if you want to write, you need to be able to take notes. And you need to be able to talk to people about your writing in a way that they understand what you're saying and that you also need to be able to listen to their ideas and not feel attacked, not feel vulnerable, not feel like, oh, they're trying to change my baby. What they're trying to do is they've spent a lot of time reading your script three or four times at least, right? Because that's that's how you give notes. Mm-hmm. Um, reading your script three or four times at least, they've put a lot of consideration in how they want to make this film with you. So listen to them. That's the least you can owe them, and it's manners. Um, just have some manners. <laughs> so,
1: so, so, sort of talking on on the collaboration side. Um, obviously, you've worked with Edgar Wright. You've worked with Sam Mendes, and you've co-written on to you know those two projects. How do those collaborations work? How how is your process for co-writing? Um, how has that differed to kind of some of the other collaborations you've done, or you know, writing a solo project in terms of like you know, do you write one scene each, and then you? crossover or how does it work?
2: Do you know what that it, the actual kind of methodology of it is sort of irrelevant um because then that, that actually actually writing is just writing it doesn't matter if you're doing it with someone else in the room or if you're doing it you know sam in new york me in london sam in new york me in la do you know what i mean that that, that doesn't actually matter um because it's just stuff going down on the page that the real act of collaboration is before the writing, when you are discussing the project and you're working out what it is. And that, like, in tre- that it's very important when you're collaborating with someone to do a treatment. Um, otherwise, forget it, like, that won't work. Um, so, like, sit down and and be in the same room when you're making this treatment and talking about the characters and who they are and what their dreams are. The good A good collaboration is half the work. Like, literally half the work. A bad collaboration is five times the work. Um, you know if you if you if you don't like working with that person, if you don't gel if you don't have the same ideas, you're just going to be going in circles because
1: because you stylistically see the project as well um because that that can be a difficult thing if you're if you're working with another a writer and they just see people differently to you um it's very difficult to work on the same page and and kind of you know explain notes on dialogue tone or um you know how you want it to look visually and that, that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, massively. And and also, like, when it comes to collaborating, you need to be open and vulnerable with that person. You need to be able to say, oh, you know what, I've not quite got this scene right yet. Um, and I'm not sure about it, but there's something in there. And, th- and that requires a, a, a sort of level of vulnerability, showing half-baked work. It's always really difficult. And I, to, for that to work, I think you really need to have a successful relationship with that other person. I think you need to have a friendship. I think you need to understand kind of who they are and they have to understand you. It's a very kind of like, it's, it's a really special thing when it works. When it clicks, it's really, I, I mean, writing with Sam and Edgar is some of the most fun I've ever had. Um, and I'm really, really proud of the work that has come out of it. And that's different from writing solo because when you're solo, you're making decisions quicker. Um, Well, I I find I'm making decisions quicker because it's not by committee, but I'm also, I'm veering off course more because there's not someone there to correct me. Mm
0: -hmm. There's not
2: someone there constantly being like, oh, I don't know if that's what we discussed. Um, So there are different sort of muscles um, they're both very, I, I love both of them. I, I really, really enjoy collaborating. But I also feel like writing on my own involves a huge amount of collaboration anyway. Mm. I never feel like I'm, I never feel like I'm a one-man band.
0: Mm. Um, You're always collaborating with yourself, I suppose. You, 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 using yourself. All, <laughs> all the different voices. Board, yeah.
2: Well, those useful voices are so <laughs> useful. No, but it's, 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 it's a very kind of like, it's a weird thing to do, to sit in a room and to go, you know what, real world, you're not that important to me, I'm actually going to invent something, I'm going to have much more fun doing it than I will sitting here speaking to someone. Mm-hmm. That's quite a weird thing to want to do anyway, it's like being the drummer in a band, they're always weirdos, right?
1: <laughs> Hello to all the drummers out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was a drummer
2: fan. <laughs> um, so like, that's how I know, but it's like... It's, it's like there, goes, deeper... there
1: goes the next Queen biopic. <laughs> oh,
2: God, let me write music, I'm so tone deaf. But um, yeah, th- there's like... You have to find the rhythm that you're marching to. You have to find this sort of internal beat that you're working with. And when you're, when you're co-writing, that's different because you're, it's not just a personal thing. Mm. You're, you, you have another master to serve rather than yourself. And that master is not the other person. That master's the project. Yes. But, it's like, but that project is not all yours. Mm. So it's no. like, you know, you wouldn't go and take someone's baby and get its ears pierced. That's not cool. Not cool. I hear, as a godmother, I hear hear that's not cool.
0: I still advocate that. In Scotland, you're not allowed, right?
2: (laughs) No, no, definitely not allowed. (laughs) Um, But it's that, it's like you have to remember that the the project belongs to more than one person. Whereas when Mm. you're on your own, you're slightly freer to go and pierce that baby's ears. I there you go not, should,
0: not that you should for this uh, no I, I love collaborating i agree i think it's a great way as a writer to to constantly be moving forward and moving your project forward it can get stuck whereas you work someone else and suddenly they can write a bit you can write a bit and it keeps moving it keeps you momentum. can build
1: a bigger you can build a very big world when you've got another mind when you've got two minds that are kind of going in the right direction and you mm-hmm. sort of create this whole universe there's just there's it's, it's ever expanding isn't it and it's quite exciting and
2: also it's absolutely glorious like if you if you don't want to collaborate at all as a writer if you don't want to get no if you don't want to do any of that like do not write for film or tv it's the most collaborative of all the writing mediums it really is like it only exists a script is not a product script doesn't i can't show a script to my friends and be like yay i did a thing but i can mm-hmm. show a film and that the whole point of it is like you're going on this shared journey, you're all going to work together. And that's that's actually like really magical and kind of aspirational and like the most wonderful thing you can do as artists, is mm. like all come together to try and make something better than each of you involved, like it's very noble, not against the backdrop of a pandemic when people are saving lives, but there is something in it that is aspirational and worthy. Um. So if you if you don't want to take notes, if you don't want to collaborate, if you don't want to do that, like go write a book. I'm not saying don't be a writer. I'm just saying don't do this.
0: Mm, that's brilliant. Thank you so much. I know you've got to go because we've got to get you to uh, your Hollywood meeting. Um, <laughs> but thank you very much for your time. We really thanks appreciate it us. a lot.
2: No, thank thanks for having much. me, and good luck in a few hours' time.
0: Thank you. I well, now. The you. Nice. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Oh. In the oh future. Good
2: luck. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.
0: Bye. Thanks, Christy. Speak to you soon right everyone um hopefully you can hear me i'm trying to work out how to get back and stop the screen share just one second hopefully that's done it maybe i'm not here My, dom's not here yet here we go Un, unmute dom bring him back in uh, like i say we could have listened to to christy talk all day she's so fantastic and wonderful and i hope you learned something from that we did so now let me find colin you introduce him while i find him on here
1: so Colin is a very experienced editor. Uh, he's worked with Gareth Edwards, which is quite a, an interesting collaboration, really, because he's worked all the way from Monsters up to Rogue One, and here he is right now. He's got a lot of is that trophies or, or drinks behind you. I can't quite see. Uh... Uh, no, it's swag. It's swag. Okay, so a lot of swag behind him.
0: <laughs>
1: Colin Gowdy, <Gaby>, uh, so... <laughs> thank you so much
0: for joining us, man. Thank you. Pleasure. You're looking very well as well during this time. You look happy.
3: Uh, Yeah, I'm quite happy. It's just good to see you two guys. I don't get out a lot, as you can imagine.
1: um is, is Not, this just is this just the everyday everyday kind of life for you and yeah this is of...
3: this has been everyday life for the last 40 years i've been training for this for 40 years as an editor haven't i like, and in, in case, case people I didn't self-isolation know.
0: <laughs> like the t-shirt the t-shirt is amazing like i thought brand it's brand
3: you know? brand then the, the people are going to see all, all up our... yeah, exactly <laughs> um <laughs> people are going to see so many uh incredible guests this evening and i thought how are they going to remember who we are i thought editor editor
0: absolutely there
3: you go now they remember
0: there we go um Robbie has put up some words into the text box there for you to to remind you who Colin is um so Colin look obviously we want to talk about editing and your work with directors how you do that how you work with script writers in the early stage but first of all we want to talk to you about the best way to sort of survive during this time the best way for filmmakers and creatives to carry on doing what they were doing before
1: and has anything has it all changed for you or is it sort of business as usual in terms of projects it's,
0: uh
3: it's business as usual just right at this minute because i was uh, i'd already agreed to do a short film after i just finished my last feature because it was going to be a nice little slot in between two films that i was going to do and it was a producer that i i know he's a friend and he asked me to do his short so i agreed and then of course my next two projects have completely disappeared um so once i finish this short i'll be like everybody else Doing all the things that the guests today recommend that we do during our period of self-isolation, so hopefully I can add to that that list for people. Yeah. Uh, so, oh yes, yeah, so the f- the first thing you were talking about going out and uh, shooting archive, uh, either future use or mm-hmm. try and sell on the on the website that you mentioned. So the first plea that any editor will tell you is when you go out with your camera, please don't film it that way please don't turn your camera that way <laughs> because otherwise anybody's trying to make something for mainstream broadcast you're going to have that image and all the rest of that screen is going to be filled up with one of those blurry horrible things so uh, what, uh, what's no, wrong with don't. your
0: um, phone it looks totally broken speaking of which oh you... my phone <laughs> yeah. no it's the case oh, oh okay fine it just looks totally broken
3: <laughs> it's, it looks like, like it's got a case. Case. ah yeah
0: <laughs> And it's also got a lanyard
3: on it because if you know when I'm in London, I don't want Ah, to steal it off me because I attach it to my belt with a lanyard. Clever. I've seen too many people having their phones stolen out of their hands in Oxford Street. Yes. Uh, Um. So yes, that's the first thing I wanted to say Uh, in terms of what to do. uh, People that are sitting at home, uh, obviously, talked about the writing, those sorts of things. From Mm -hmm. an editing point of view, I would say that it's about learning new software. So if you're a film editor, you already know how to use your Avid for your day-to-day work, but go in and learn how to use the effects palette on Avid because that's one of those things that we're always going, I'll learn that one day, and you never do. So I try and increase your skill set within the software that you already use. Or if you've not edited but you think you might want to, even if you're a writer or a director and you think that might be a useful skill set at some future point, Almost all of the software that's out there comes with a 30-day free trial. So with none of us got any income coming in, go out, download the 30-day free trial. And don't download them all on the same day. (laughs) Sure. Right? So do the first 30-day free trial on your Avid and then go and do After Effects then go and do Lightworks, etc. In fact, Lightworks is a free is free anyway, unless you want the top spec professional thing. Which if you're learning the software, you don't need that. Um, I would also recommend uh, learning how to do Previs, particularly if you're a director. Mm. So the thing that Phil Hawkins, who I know you guys have done a lot of interaction with on the website in the past, Phil uses a thing called Frame Forge Three D, and If I'm still here in 12 weeks' time, I'll be learning how to use that myself. Um, So those are the things I would do in terms of the software side of things. In terms of your skill set, and that's a skill set if you're a writer, director, um, or particularly as an editor, is if you haven't got material to cut and access to that material, go and rip a DVD of a classic movie and stick it in your Avid and cut it down in length. See how much you can get out of a timeline and still, still tell the same story, right? Particularly with most modern films, which we all know are always at least half an hour too long
0: absolutely do you know that's right. absolutely really great advice and i think it's i think it's really important that people learn new skills now's the perfect time you know poppy uh, Rowe learnt for a serial killer's guide to life she learned how to edit and i think now for filmmakers this is the perfect time to do something like that
3: she's a great yeah. editor now she's a really good editor she's really so, good I know. you know really good yeah. um so i would do that also the other thing that's useful to learn to do so not just cut down films in terms of how much it might you might watch a film and get two minutes out of it but when you guys know that when you are at that stage in your edit and your film's 122 minutes and the producers, your distributors want you to get it down to two hours, that last two minutes is so hard to get out. Mm. So you might only cut that much out. But the other thing that's useful to do is a lot of films when you finish them, if it's not a big studio picture, obviously to work independence, they go to marketplace. A lot of people at marketplace will not watch a two-hour film. They will watch a 10 to 20 minute version of your film and mm. they will buy or sell your film based on that version. So again, take these classic you know, Hollywood or British movies, take them, cut them. Now, how can I tell this story in 10 minutes that would sell this film at market? Because when you're in your edit suite in years to come, that's a really different skill set and it's a great skill set to have. So and it- try and cut the trailer and try and cut the sales pitch version.
1: And it doesn't have to be if you're just, you know, a filmmaker or a director, like if you're an actor, like you'll you'll learn a lot about, oh, yeah. um, you know, what's going to be left on the cutting room floor. Like if you start <laughs> editing your own yeah. you know, show rules yeah. and stuff like that. And if you're a writer, you'll learn structurally because like in a way, an editor, and that's something we're going to sort of come on to in a second. An editor is, in, in fact, another writing redrafter. Yeah. And you're kind of learning what's important, what's not important in the script, uh, what what scenes are going to be cut, which bits are, are excessive, where where you need stuff. So it's kind of a it's kind of a very useful, like almost like another version of writing to be learning.
3: Yeah, it absolutely is, and because everybody always says, you know, the the third rewriting stage of the is film the is post; it's the edit. You know, you guys are very experienced at that as well, and you know that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, so what else was I going to talk about with that? Um, so I, I went through the list that you sent me. Do you want me to just roll on to the next thing? Well, I, I, mean, a-
1: I mean, we sort of, yeah. I mean, we kind of went on to the, we, we started on the, <laughs> um, the the script side. Uh, so you sometimes come on to projects at the script stage. Correct. Um, what insights do you give editors or producers, and uh, not so uh, producers basically, or, or writers in terms of like, what might be useful to, to have your perspective on before they even go into production?
3: Uh, every department head, H H O D will go through the script um, with two minds on, which is the first one is you read the script, does it entertain me? First of all, do I want to work on this film? Mm-hmm. Once you've done that pass, then you do the pass, which is your department pass. So production designer looks at it from that point of view, costume designer from that point of view, editor that point of view so i'm looking at things thinking oh is this going to be a fast action scene or is he going to want to do this you know uh and it, it could be you know a battle as it turns out of 1917 might be the entire movie do they want to do it as a single shot <laughs> so, which can suddenly affect your role as an editor
0: right? well you might not be needed if it's one shot
3: and, and ironically of course nineteen seventeen
0: full of edits <laughs> i know that's the thing it absolutely is yeah. at
3: which point the editor's role is really crucial at that stage working with the cinematographer working with the director you know it's too late <laughs> if they bring 1917 in and it's not cuttable as a single shot isn't it you've got to be involved at that stage so um yeah so i will read it and um it's my three different readings of the script will be um do i want to do the film what's the editing uh, side of it going to probably be and then it's the what's my input now going to be that i'm going to pass on to the script writer um the first questions that you know that i usually ask are who's the script editor and i will talk to the script editor as much as to the writer because they've kind of done that previous pass and i like to learn what they've cut out maybe and why they made those decisions and. Sometimes you might say, well, actually, that was I did find that a bit confusing. Are you sure you want to take that out? Is there not something else that we can take out in its place and reinstate that? Um, or you might make a suggestion and they might say, oh, actually, we had that scene. We lost it for budgetary reasons. And I'll say, can we set it in the car static as opposed to driving? And then it's a less expensive shoot, but it still gets across the information. And so I'll try and get my low-budget filmmaking hat on um to offer a suggestion of how something can be done that way
0: do you Uh, um do you come on relatively early then in the process and do you think that's the best thing and all filmmakers should do that and bring their editor on early okay so
3: i would say yes (laughs) to that (laughs) however the last feature i just finished i was uh hired for that job a couple of weeks before principal photography because they just didn't have an editor the first assistant director working on it had worked on a previous film with me recommended me I straight away got the job and so it was a bit weird to me to not have early input the good thing about that script was because it was low budget um and it was a there was a writer and a writer director if that makes sense mm-hmm. so it was a writer director with a writer collaborator yeah yep so uh, the director's hat, uh, he had gone through and had cut the thing right down in order to get it down to the budget that he could get the money to raise because he was also one of the producers. So a lot of the work that I might have already done, I might do normally, sorry, he had already done. Um, and that film, I think my first assembly was coming in at like 90 minutes. <laughs> so yeah, there was not a lot of re- leeway for me to come in and say we've got to cut things up. Like- which I normally would do because normally most scripts are far too long. So I will go through and every scene, can we come into this scene later? Can we leave it earlier? Because a lot of scenes, it's remarkable when you go and look at the writing, how common that mistake is. And it's not that it is a mistake. It's just a technique. And then when you're in the edit, you're like, Oh, we can come into that halfway through that scene. Why do it in the edit? Why not do it in the pre-shoot so that you guys don't have to go out on a rainy day and stand there filming that five-minute dialogue scene when you'd much rather film a two-minute dialogue scene? Totally
0: agree. How do you know what's your technique to understanding when's the best place to come in and out?
3: Cutting at the speed of thought.
0: In terms of script stage, I'm on, uh, in terms of the script stage.
3: Yeah, and it's the same. It's the same process on the page as it is in the Avid when it's been shot. Try and do it on the page, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But if it was too late and it's already been filmed, you do it in the edit. What I mean by that is as soon as the audience has understood where the scene is going, get out. That's cutting at the speed of thought. You know, as soon as it's like, we need to get some money, you don't need the rest of that conversation. The audience is like, oh, they're going to go and sell the watch. they yep. in scene five. Come right. to the pawnbroker. You know, you don't need the rest of that scene, which was, but that was my dad's watch. Oh, my God. What you need to know is they're selling the watch.
1: Move on. But do you, I, do you, do you find that sometimes you have the opposite problem in, in Hollywood where kind of what you mentioned earlier about either budget or trimming down the length, you end up cutting down some scenes that you, as an audience, will help connect either logic or, you know, emotionally to the story. And by doing that, you have these kind of, you do have these Hollywood films where it just jumps from this and people think, hang on,
0: that felt How like did
3: something. How do we get there? How <laughs> did we get there, exactly? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, not with the filmmakers that I've worked with, I don't mm. think, I'd like to think. Uh, I'd also like to think that I would be the first person in the room putting up my hand saying, that doesn't make any sense anymore. <laughs> um, however, if, you're on a, if it's a big Hollywood movie, your test audience is going to tell you that. Mm. And they're going to listen, right? Because yeah. nobody wants to make an incomprehensible, incomprehensible film. Um, so I don't think it is a particular, I don't see it that as a Hollywood problem. There are directors working in Hollywood for whom that is a problem. but I don't think it's a Hollywood problem. Right. That makes sense.
0: Yeah, totally Mm. makes sense. I think a lot of sort of independent film level, we, we usually bring the editor on last, you know, and I know you just said there, that's not what we should do. We really shouldn't. And I totally agree with you. Often it's a case of budget.
3: Yeah. But in terms of budget, it's again, it's cutting your cloth according. So if I'm on a movie with a big budget and I'm giving my time to that production, Yep. then they have the, the ways of recompensing me for that. If I'm going to go on to a low budget film, which might not be shooting for another six months or a year. I mean, sometimes I've looked at scripts a year, two years in advance and given loads of script notes. Well, I'm taking on that project because I've read the script the first time around probably or a treatment. Yep. I'm involved in it. And of course I'm giving my time for free on those things right and, because, and you're also
1: you're also saving the money directly in shooting days and budget and yeah. also posts so yeah. it's, it's to read and a it, script and give a few notes is quite a good economy really
3: yeah and it's like that thing whereby every penny i can save in pre-production and during production because the same thing runs true once the camera started turning from day one i'll still keep making those suggestions every pound saved on the set is a pound for post or a pound for the advertising of the movie that we've made and nobody can see it anymore because there was no money for the for the print and advertising. Yeah, So it helps me because why would I work on a film for a year that nobody ever goes and sees? You know, it's like, it makes no sense.
0: Totally agree. That's great advice. Thank you. And I'm definitely going to incorporate that. And I hope a lot of other people listening, uh, watching will as well. Um, we've got a question here. We're, we're going to get Robbie maybe to come on and, and read some questions out for us from people. But I just, while we were talking earlier about, Editing and learning to edit. Eloise Heath has asked a really lovely question about how do people go about doing that? What's the best way for people to actually learn to edit right now?
3: Uh, obviously, in terms of the things I said earlier, that I, I, I believe that. But that's more of a structure thing. Mm-hmm. If it's in terms of when, you, when you cut from the wide shot to the close up,
0: I think more. I think more. She was asking about what platforms. Where should she go? Um, what's the best? Is there any specific? Oh, what in terms of which software to use? Maybe software, but also in terms of what any techniques in in so in the software. Maybe there's also some techniques you've learned. You go, oh, okay, well, just do the basics or something. Or there's a great YouTube video you've seen. Or oh,
3: that. okay. Uh, so uh, I was <laughs> I would always re- always refer people to Sam Berlinge's book, which is. Um it's on Amazon and I'll get you the link. You guys might already have that from a previous podcast that I did, and you can put that on tomorrow. So apologies, I don't have it right now. And it's actually a book about documentary film editing and he breaks down a lot of stuff, like how to set up your projects, which if you're starting to learn, then your housekeeping is essential. It really is. Uh, so Sam breaks all that down, but because his book is, he's a, mainly a documentary editor, But it's the same rules apply on drama. And I keep telling people that all the time who say to me, I'm a documentary editor. How do I get into drama? I go, you're an editor. That's what you are. Mm -hmm. You're not a documentary editor. You know, you're not a comedy editor. You are an editor. And it's the same skill set across the board. And so don't let people pigeonhole you and don't pigeonhole yourself
1: um and documentaries you know and documentaries now as well like i mean a lot of the the new netflix documentaries like you know tiger kings become a bit of a a sensation around Mm. everywhere but like there's, there's a lot of narrative spun into it like quite heavily um and that is a big editor voice really
3: every every drama that i go to work on they always say to me i really want it to look like a documentary and real and every documentary I go on, they get the dolly and the track out and they go, we want it to look like a cinematic feature. <laughs> Make it cinematic, please. <laughs> Make it cinematic, <laughs> yeah. right? So it's a complete cross-pollination. Um, so yeah, I would refer to Sam's book um, and listen to a lot, well, not a lot, but you can Google, find the DVDs or Blu-rays that have an editor's commentary on them. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they talk more about structure of editing usually on those things um there there are quite a few books on the when to cut from the wide shot to close up uh and again I'll link you those and you can put all of those on the website tomorrow
0: so people can go back to you know please do. Look at those. yeah and for now carter uh, ferguson has ha- very kindly put that up in that's the, the one the brilliant thank you yeah. that's exactly it and it's also eloise was book, yeah. and actually I interrupted you actually at that question but also going about from when to go from the close up to the right. wide for instance okay please so And that's the tricky thing (laughs) because
3: I genuinely believe that you almost can't learn that it's guttural and it's instinctual Mm. and, um, okay. You get better with practice for sure, but there's a certain level. I, I don't think that I have changed where I put my cut since I was an editor 40 years ago. What, i have learned in those 40 years is all the other things that we've just been discussing like reading a script and doing that working with a director what that's like working with a producer what that's like working with a studio what that's like um interacting with vfx people production designers politics the cutting room politics um and uh learning how to give the director what they want not what they've asked for
0: could you clarify that a little bit more? Because yeah, of course, it'd be really interesting. To a know
3: director will say, "Oh, oh God, that's not working at all. Um, can I, I? We need to cut to this, and then we need to cut to that, and we need to cut to this." Now, when you first start editing, you will do that, and then the two of you will watch it, and the director will go, "Oh, that doesn't work either, does it?" So, what experience teaches you is you can look at when they will tell you this, this, this. You go, "Oh, I see what you want to do. Can I just show you something else?" And then you, and they'll go, oh yeah, oh God, that's what I wanted. I wanted that.
1: Which yes, which, that. Is, which, is, which brings us right back again to in scripts, because like one of the main pieces of advice as a, as a script writer is someone gives you a note, look at the area of the note, not the suggestion for the note. Exactly. So it is, it's very much two sides of the same coin. Exactly. And it's
3: also, and it's not a director fault. It's, we all do it and it's a producer fault. It's a director fault and it's a test screening fault. So <laughs> you don't listen to the test screening, what they tell you, you should do you listen to the vibe of it 's too slow that 's not necessarily mean cut a load of stuff out in the film, yeah, no absolutely it can mean pace the music up. it can mean, oh, where exactly was it slow? It was there, oh why is it slow because it 's slow because there were two slow scenes next to one another. Maybe if we put a faster scene in the middle of those two slow scenes, it'll run at exactly the same duration, but the audience won't feel that the film grounds will halt, so
1: yeah.
3: it's a structural change um. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, you, totally. What,
1: what, what, just a just a quick one, circling back to close-ups and wide because there's there's a there's a, in the independent world, especially I find there's a kind of a, a cult mentality of like we've got to shoot the close-ups, we've got to have all these close-ups for everything. Yeah, you, know, you, you have to go in tight. Hollywood doesn't really do that very often. What's your thoughts on that? Take shoot the close-ups. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you don't
3: shoot the close-ups. We're going to be picking them up four weeks later. But, but so, I mean, do you do
1: you like to use them? Yeah. Do you like to use them regularly, or do you sort of save I, it for a special? You know,
3: no, I, I when I'm doing an assembly, like for instance, literally the film I'm I'm just cutting uh, today. I had a, a a conference call with the director because uh, he's reviewing the cut remotely now because of the circumstances. Mm-hmm. And he was say, "Oh, we need to really get across the point of that, and it's not working at the moment." And I said, "Yeah, it's because I used your close up." And I used the close-up because you shot it, and I wanted to put it in, so on this first, very first assembly, we could look at it and see. But I think the solution is we just play it in the wide, and if we play that in the wide, you can see better what it is that she's doing because actually the close-up that you filmed, it, it effectively was the wrong close-up.
0: Mm.
3: It was the close-up that made sense on the day on the set, but in fact, looking at it in the run of the film, that's not the thing that we should be seeing in the close-up. It's something else so it, it's just play it on the wide and look at the wide and the other thing that i'll do is if they're shooting particularly most people shooting 6k usually with a 2k deliverable so i will crop in i'll do that shot
0: yeah yeah absolutely that, yeah
3: you know, in. because yeah. i've got all those pixels yeah. I can play yeah, you with can, you can, you and can that's can a massive difference close up yeah you can do that yeah hmm. you know <laughs> That's maybe a more interesting shot than that
0: is. You no, know? you're so right. So, and I love the way it's said on Dom's that, face when that's you So that. not gonna work on the podcast. <laughs> that's <was> pretty exciting. <laughs> no, no, just, I don't, I don't know how we're gonna go
1: high, high from this.
0: Yeah, <laughs> hands going up, but I'm um, done. Uh, we've, we've uh, got I think I so, think uh, And
3: and also I will try and when the rushes come in, if they haven't filmed the close ups, obviously I'll cut the scene together and i edit like here i've got a 65 inch monitor of like two feet away from me so it fills my peripheral vision so yeah. i can get as close to a cinematic experience as possible when i'm viewing the cut and even with that in mind i'll look at something i think i really need that close-up i'll run down to set i'll say guys can you get me this and they might say oh well we've relit the set or we've redressed the set and i go can we shoot it in that corner over there like Isn't that because it's just a close-up guys you yeah, do it anywhere or yeah. they'll like say there's the b camera can you go off and do that with another unit in a different room in the same location and i'll go off and that way you can sometimes get the actors to even do the actually get the actor off main set when they're in between setups so you can actually use the real actor's hands as opposed to mine you
1: mm-hmm. know,
3: uh, um, got, that's, that, that's, know. A, that's a
1: really fascinating point in terms of um you know actually an editor's perspective when you're shooting um, especially on indie budgets when you haven't got time to shoot everything don't worry about the clo- I mean get the close-ups but they are the thing you can cheat and you can cheat some exactly. astonishing things so, like really astonishing
3: oh things. my god absolutely so there are shots in everything you know there are pickup insert close-ups in Rogue there were in Monsters a whole bunch in the film I just did because the main unit was shooting on such a short schedule that they just a, a cut print moving on you know um, so it's the sort of thing you can get later on if you cr- if you're Budgeting up for a, a low-budget indie, um, and even on big films we do it all the time, but, but on a, on a low-budget film, my plead would be assign enough money in your budget to do a couple of days' pickups later on once you've done your first assembly.
0: Yeah, because 100% agree with that. That yeah. is
3: so useful. It's literally like the percentage of your success hit rate is astronomically high versus what you filmed on your main unit.
0: Well, because you can you, easily a, miss a can't you? You can easily miss a shot. Yeah, you can, but yeah. you'll, be, you'll be shooting maybe
3: 100 to 1 shooting ratio on your main mm. unit. Or even if it's tight, you'll be, you know, 10 to 1. Nothing's really on a or, main or unit shot less than 10 to 1. Your pickup shoot is almost 1 to 1. <laughs> it's one take closer of me pressing the mouse, you
1: know. Yeah. Uh, moving on, next close. And you, you might put something in there that you didn't even realise that your editor spotted or you found out in, in production or, or post that it could go in that would solve a whole bunch of issues. And yep. so there's, there's no point assuming that the edit will stay as it is in the script because it changes from the script Absolutely. to the shoot. And, and I,
3: I, I get my iPhone out and shoot stuff in my edit suite, first of all. Hmm. Or st- I'll steal a shot from another movie, you know, online. I just rip it, stick the shot in, show the scene to the director and go, what do you think? And they go, oh, God, yeah, it's so much better with the close-up of the gun being cocked. Yeah, you know, which I might nick from somewhere completely different.
0: You know? Yeah, I totally agree. I think the odd close-up, I think is really important. We do miss these on set sometimes as directors. We, we go, oh, I don't have time. It's all right. It plays out enough in the mid or the yeah. wide. But actually, these cutaways are so important.
3: Uh, and I I genuinely believe, and uh, you, know, you guys may disagree, but I would rather have just one take of the wide shot and then more time spent on the rest of the coverage for the scene because the wide shot really is used primarily for geography of the room so it's when person gets up from table and walks across room it's that kind of, those are the reasons why you cut to the wide and there is very little difference between take 1 and take 6 of that wide shot i swear
0: yeah but people when people get them... into the
3: mid shots and the close-ups there's a phenomenal difference between the performance of the dialogue that was given from the actor between take one take two take three
0: yeah do you, do you find people spend too long perfecting wide shots oh, rather than getting the close the actors get
3: one. bored and they run out of time and they come in and they go i didn't get any of the, i didn't get beyond the mid shot and you're like yeah. but i got 10 takes of the wide great
0: Great, can't use <laughs> it. used
3: it for 10 seconds to get him through the door, never went back to never
0: it. Never went back, I know. Um, talk about someone like Star Wars, because Star Wars did have the big sweeping wides and the big sort of yeah. epic shots. Were you conscious of that when you went in talking with Gareth about it from the beginning? Was it always, this is how I'm going to, to shoot the Star Wars and this is how I'd you know, potentially like you to edit? We
3: prevised a lot of that movie. Um, so you can work those things out. in. The, uh, uh, so previs for people that don't know, sorry. Is uh, And particularly on a movie of of that kind of budget, the previs is like watching a PS4 computer game. It's really high standard. Now, on a lower budget film, you can do it using the software, the frame forge, which is not as great, but it still tells you what you need to know. So it's such a useful tool. So with that, they would do a scene. Uh, the The shots would come through from um, third floor, who was an amazing previous company that we used on that. And then I could run because they were doing it in the room next to me, and I would run out to so Barry or Margot, and I'd say, "Can you do me a close up underneath as she jumps over the, you know, from one part of the platform to the other?" And they would just generate, you know, a, another angle, and I could cut it in and go, "Oh yeah." So then Gareth could see that and go, "Oh yeah, we do need that shot. We get onto set." It's worth spending the time, the four hours to move that, you know, camera and do that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And also the other thing is with the previous, sorry, is uh, the reverse is true, is that you can get all the shots in. And I would cut a scene and some VFX shots cost more money than the budget of your indie film. Right. (laughs) So I would look at those and you pretty much pay by the shot. So I can look at a scene I can go do I need all four shots can I tell that story in two I've just slashed the VFX budget for that scene in half
0: Yeah totally yeah and that's vital that's vital for for any filmmaker you yeah. now don't need it on
1: set yeah. kind of I think change. I think even on even on blockbusters it you know what you've kind of shown in in editing is that it's not always the big fancy shots that kind of stick with the audiences I mean, like one of my favorite moments in in Rogue One is uh, in the in the lift when they're just about to go down after they've done the the timer, and there's just this moment where you could, if you were just doing a sort of traditional cheesy, you'd have a full blown kiss. Um, you know, you'd have them sort of hugging each other and doing that, and you just see the hand go towards the other hand, yeah. and then it cuts to black, and it's like you leave the audience like that's been indelled in my mind yeah. that one moment and it's not you know it could have been done in in a very small location but that's kind of something that's that's memorable so yeah
3: absolutely absolutely i, I mean i personally i i'm a fan of the close-up uh don't always use them when they have been shot but i am a fan of them
0: Great. Um, We've got a a really interesting question here from Henna Hanef, and she asks Is now the best time to contact uh, post production houses or post supervisors or assistants to the editors um, to try and get your foot in the door? Is now a good time?
3: Personally, I would say it's not. I would say that your resources, your time, and your effort is much better spent increasing your skill set so that when the door reopens, You have got the skill sets that people are looking for. I I, like almost every assistant editor that I know is currently out of work and looking for work. And these are people with the CV of every big movie you've ever seen. So if you've got a movie now, you're not going to be able to compete with those people. But what you are going to be able to do is go in when it when the gates open again. And realistically, I think that's going to be a year. You know. Really. Uh, and I think it's going to be five to 10 years for Indies. I think, wow. Yeah. I think we, you're, you're going to rewind. the clock is rewounding to 2008. I think that when it all kicks off again, it will be the big movies that go first because the money's there. You know, the studios have got that money and they need that content and they're raring to go. So even Disney now has a platform to release on Disney plus. So if it chooses, it can stream to all those people that pay, and it can maybe stream a movie but charge for it on top of the monthly subscription. I don't know if that's what they're thinking is, but that's now a possibility. They don't have to be tied up with Netflix anymore. So Disney would get all that money if they went down that route. Mm.
0: Um, wow, that's
3: quite that's people quite. People that are raising money, depressing. It's hard to hear, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it really, people really are is. Raising, uh, as we know, a lot of independent movie money it comes from hedge funds it comes from so you've got the companies that are indie film companies but where do they get their money from they get their money from people who've got tax money that they are trying to you know offset uh and they're offset it into a fund like that on the gamble that they might get the next full monty and you know the next player which can get the money tenfold mm. but if they don't it's a tax write-off is yeah. out there right now probably apart from amazon and tesco's <laughs> and stuff, that are going to have tax money to get rid of <laughs> you know all the other companies are going to be struggling with their own finances so i think that that is going to go and it's going to take after the 2008 crash it's exactly what happened the number of films i was going to do at that period that all disappeared um and it's going to build up slowly where is the good place for independence will be the netflix because they have now got everybody. We all know people used to spend a weekend uh, binge watching. People are now spending seven days a week. I've got months. Right? And and they're getting through the content. So those, it, it will be the independent filmmakers will be looking to sell content to Netflix, not independent cinema. I think independent cinema release, because the cinemas are going to be... If you if you're running a cinema, are you going to be showing a low budget indie movie to fill your cinema when they reopen, or are you going to be showing all the films in our backlog, the Bond, Black Widow, Ghostbusters, whatever?
1: Which is going to be tricky because uh, you know it, it is. It's already quite difficult if you're doing an independent film to put on your own cinema run. It, it's definitely yeah. possible but there will be a backlog of of studio films putting a lot of pressure on those independent chains who will be needing the money. So it's going to be a a challenging time for getting your own UK release. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll in terms of the
3: streaming thing, I think that is that, that is where Mm. you have. We literally have to reinvent the wheel and we have to think that way, which is where are people watching? How do I get it to them? Yeah. How do I monetize that? Yeah. And maybe I don't, maybe, maybe this is not the year as a filmmaker for me to monetize maybe this is the year for me as a filmmaker to go free but to get exposure so that in two years time people will spend 10 pounds to buy you dvd blu-ray because they love that film that you put online for free because they had nothing else to watch because they'd already streamed through netflix or whatever yeah right Mm -hmm. you have to think now
1: longer term and get writing as well, because you can write three or four oh, projects and, and they, can, they can be but, delayed, yes. but That's absolutely it's good to have yeah. them in your armoury. Yeah. And it's free to write as well. It's
0: free. It doesn't absolutely. cost you anything. Um, what we want to do, Collins, because you've been so amazing, a couple of questions to wrap yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, and then so everyone knows we're going to have a little break, five minutes. We can have a wee and get a cup of tea and then come up. And we've got Finn Glynn, a fantastic producer waiting for us and you. So, um should we bring in Robbie to ask a couple of questions? Dom, should we do that? I think we want to see Robbie's
1: uh, wonderful face.
0: We want to see Robbie's little face. We've all been waiting for. Oh. oh, he's not under Robbie. There you go, one minute. Uh, I've got a question while we bring, while we okay. bring uh, him in. And this is from Adam. And it's, uh, do you cut to the script uh, when you get the footage or do you just cut to the footage you are given? Uh,
3: so what I do is I always try and do my first cut of, the, of a scene the way that it was intended by the director and is portrayed in the screenplay. I try and get through that as quickly as possible. And if I, when I'm doing that, I see something else that I think is, you know, is an improvement. Um, I will do that version as well, and I'll screen them both for the director.
0: Amazing. Robbie, how you doing, buddy? Hi, Robbie. How's it going, Giles and Dom?
1: <laughs> Hi, <you> Colin. <laughs>
0: Hi, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> Uh girlfriend, give us some of your, give us some of the best ones that you have found so we
1: got one from emmeline, and she's asking she's saying that she's working with a director uh, who's in l a and uh they've sort of had conversations around um, uh, not being creatively in sync. Have you dealt with those sort of uh conversations before Colin, and how do you sort of deal with them? How do you get creatively in sync with directors?
3: okay, so are we talking? At the moment, in lockdown, creatively out of sync because of the time delay and because of what's going on with the no, whole. I think world. it's. I think it's Are we talking about out of sync on? She would like to go down one route with the film, and the yeah. director would like to go down. Yeah, I think it's that, and,
1: and the distance. But I guess it's applicable now.
3: Okay, um, so. The the thing that I've always done in my career uh, is I've always made up this little like caption thing that says a film by and the name of the director. And when we get into a creative discussion, and the director will say, "Well, what do you want to do?" I'll say, "Well, I think we should go from this to that to that. I think it's clear if we do this and we cut to that." However, and then I click that JPEG and it fills up the sixty five inch screen and it says a film by insert name of director here. I go, "It's your film." What do you want to do? Because if I wanted it to be the way I want it to be, I should say a film by Colin Gowdy. I should be out there directing that film, right? It's the director's film. Obviously, the producer might come in and then all over that, whatever. Um, you know, that's their role as producers. Um, but in terms of do I get into a situation whereby I'm in complete disagreement with the director but insisting that my way is the best, I don't.
0: Amazing. It's, it's
3: really there film it has to be their film now the two ways around that if i'm trying to be more constructive because that sounded a bit non-constructive um try and find out from the director in what area they feel there's a creative missing see if you can reprogram your on-board computer software (laughs) so that you can think like them like i'll often say to gareth you know he'll 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 tell me something and I'll go "Uh uh-huh uh-huh and he'll go oh I hate it when you do that because you're just disagreeing with me and you're just saying that and I'll go no no I'm just trying to get into your head what it is that you want and I'm trying to reset my head and I'm going and I'll go like I did this morning with the director I said oh I get it you want this scene to be cut more like Terrence Malick and he went oh my god that's exactly what I want that's exactly it now he didn't tell me where to put the cuts but we all know Creatively, a Terence Malick cut is not a Michael Bay
0: cut. 100% <laughs>
3: isn't, it? <Yeah. laughs> right? So, vice versa. You might have done the Terence Malick cut <laughs> and you might go, oh, you want the Michael Baker. I get it, right? And at which point you might say, do you know what? I That's just not me. I think maybe, do you want to send those scenes off to another editor? Possibly. Or. <laughs> yeah do you want to have a go at that yourself if they're okay with software themselves or do you want me to just step away and you just take it because sometimes like like robe we had three editors on that you know Mm -hmm. unfortunately we all got on really well and we all interacted and you know so uh but i know there are other films that friends have worked on i've never had it happen to me where the film was taken away and another editor came in and they're like you know that's what happened
1: but I think, I think another interesting sort of point to add as well is, is is the differences creatively because of a personality clash? because you know at the end of the day like I always believe that you can if say if you have like okay, we've got to get rid of this scene because of budget, there's, there's often a way as a director you can think about changing that scene so that it's um, there's a solution so you can put in what you want. But it's still trimming off a you know a couple of minutes or or vice versa. So I always think there's a third middle ground option that you can generally find. It's whether the two people are open to actually have that discussion um, in the first place. Is kind of the, the important thing, really, when you're when you're yeah. working away from each other and you're trying to figure those things out.
3: Yeah, I mean it's the thing whereby um, I always like to think that the best version of a film is where it's n- it's not the film that the director or the editor intended, but it's a new film that they both created together. It's always that leads the best. I think that collaboration filmmaking is collaboration.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah. I um, so is. and I almost think it's like I understand that we have to be called editor, production designer, director, scriptwriter. I prefer the phrase filmmaker. Mm. We are filmmakers you know, and it's like people always compare making a film with going off to war. Now, if anybody else out there has ever been in combat or in a combat situation, filmmaking is nothing like being in a freaking war, right? Filmmaking is like running a Grand Prix. The director is Lewis Mm -hmm. Hamilton, but Lewis does not refuel that car. He doesn't change the tires and he can't do it without the pit stop team or the mechanics, right? He gets Mm -hmm. the glory at the end. Also, if he spins
0: off, he gets all the blame. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I think it's more like that. It's a team effort. It's a great analogy, that. That's very good. Thank you, Colin. Um, and we've got time for one more, Robbie. If we got a quick one? I think. can answer real oh, quick. Sorry, can yeah. I, I'll be very quick also, yeah, just to say on. about
3: long distance, because this might be more relevant to what we're discussing on this particular... Yeah, and point.
0: actually that question, that so to, so, to, to keep so, going on that, Colin, yeah. the question actually was um, more about working with someone long Who's, distance. Uh, yeah, and you didn't get on as well. Yeah. Uh,
3: so if um if like technically how do i deal with it so i've you know my director's currently in norfolk somewhere i did a film last year i did a film with the director lived in la we filmed in florida and i edited it here in scotland all we did was clone the rushes and you can clone the rushes and um (laughs) like i literally there we go so what i do with my rushes, my dailies get sent to me on an sd card why are you shipping a drive when you can post that for 26p or whatever it is 65p right perfect yeah and uh because that's the 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 avid media um and you can get an entire movie as we all know onto a drive that big uh, all the rushes uh so we both have those and then all i do at the end of the day is send my director the avid bin and all i have to do it will just relink it all And they can see the cut. I don't have to upload a QuickTime. They don't have to download a QuickTime. I send a bin, which is about four megabits, right? Um... And they are not going to the timeline and recutting stuff. You don't need to panic about that. If they do, great, fine. But it just means that they've got the Avid in front of them. It's the quickest and easiest way to do things. It means that they can be scrubbing up and down a timeline, and they can look and they can see, oh, they can even uncurl and go, oh, God, of course you cut there, because the next frame, the camera went off, didn't it? Whereas mm. if you set just the quick time, they don't know why you cut. You know. So I, that's what I do technically on the long-distance
0: job. Great. And what happens if certain editors pitching uh, uh, you? You are pitching to a director, and your they say it's not that you don't they don't like your work or it's not creatively. How how do you work with that, or is there a way around that for you? Do you send something else? Do you cut something else? Uh, What in terms of they've watched the scene that I've cut and they don't like the scene or the
3: entire? Yeah, maybe
1: they don't think your style is creatively in sync with them.
3: Like I said, I would ask them for examples for me to go and look at. And I would look at those examples and try and change my skill set to that. It's just, and it's, it's not something you should be offended by, the same way that an actor does not get offended when you say, can you play that scene more aggressively, or can you play it, you know, whatever the notice you give to your actor to get them to give you the performance you want, it's exactly the same. I think the onus should be pushed back to the director to clarify what they, it is that they want. Mm-hmm. And then if you are unable to achieve that, just as sometimes an actor cannot achieve the performance that you want, you might recast or you might ADR, you know, uh, or cut them out of the film if they're not a lead. Um, and I think at, certain, at a certain point, you might have to drift apart. You might have to say, this is not the project for me. Uh, but I would ask them for clarification and examples. And I would try and get my mindset into what is it creatively that, that they want to achieve? And I would do it in the most non confrontational way possible. You don't want a confrontation over it. You want to say, okay, I want to make the best film. And you want to make the best film. What is it that I need to do, do you feel? And you can regain that mojo. You know, you can go, oh, I get it now. We're doing the whole film this way. Yeah. You know? Great. And Thank sometimes
1: you. if you haven't done it, you have to pop in a few different examples that can, you can say this demonstrates this, this demonstrates yeah, that. Absolutely. I don't oh, have yeah. anything that's perfect, but these will do.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And beagle. also as the editor. You can, you maybe, you know, if there's find out a particular scene that's not working and, say to yourself as the editor she can go okay i'm going to cut it this way and this way and this way and show the director all three and say is are any of these matching closer to what you want
0: that's great but Good. don't
3: take it as a criticism of your skills as an editor it's not that
0: no it's not and it shouldn't be it shouldn't be at all uh, robbie last uh, last one to squeeze one more in yeah uh, sure we, we, so uh... we, actually
1: we've, we've got to we've got to stick fin on because we've got um uh parental duties ahoy i'm afraid
0: Fine. Yeah, no problem. Let's do that. Uh, let's wrap up, Colin, then. Thank you so much for your Thank time. you so much. It was, much.
1: That was fantastic. Yeah, I hope it was of some help.
0: Absolutely was. Thank you stay so indoors,
3: much, Colin. Stay indoors. Stay safe. <laughs> Don't stream. Try and watch your films off Blu-ray or DVD that you've got at home. Save the internet for people that really need it, like educators and the health service. Uh, and I think that's about it
0: it is and if you want to listen to Colin full talk and go into depth he's on 122 episode 122 of the podcast so do uh, promotion all the time Don promotion <laughs> um, uh, hashtag make your film <laughs> yeah hashtag make your film for the next event so uh, yeah thank you Colin right pleasure thank um, you very much good luck everybody thank, thank, you. thank you. you bye bye Hello everyone, it is Giles jumping in here just to tell you this of course is a two-parter. It ended up being about three hours long and that's uh, way too long for a podcast. So what I thought I'd do is split it into two for you. So obviously you've just heard uh, the fantastic Christy Wilson Cairns and of course the delightful Colin Gowdy. Up next is, of course, Finn Glynn, the producer of such fantastic movies as Mad to be Normal uh, with David Tennant and, of course, Underdogs, as well as you, me and him. Uh, and, of course, coming up soon, The Doorman with Ruby Rose and Jean Renault. And our other guest on Friday will be Jack Binder, the Oscar-nominated producer, um, so he's done so many fantastic films over his career. In fact, one I was in as well when he was shooting in the UK. Um, so his films he has done is The Upside of Anger, starring Kevin Costner, *Rain Over Me, starring Adam Sandler, and of course, First Reform, starring Ethan Hawke and Amanda Seyfried. So do join us on Friday for our very special make your film live online summit for those of you who've listened so far for those of you who joined us for that live event thank you so much uh it was really nice to see everyone's faces and just to see all those people still vying away and still wanting to make something happen in this time that we are living right now i love you all remember you can make your indie film even in these tough times but remember who your audience is and get out there not Right now, you can't get out there and go make it. And remember, if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. Just wear gloves and sanitise afterwards. Till Friday for the very special part two of this crossover Make Your Film Film this podcast event. Take care and keep washing your hands. Bye for now.